right, hey, uh, welcome everybody. It's November, it's snowing. Welcome, it's good to have you. <laughs> Wish it were a little nicer out. I'm, I'm not ready for this. Anybody ready for this kind of weather yet? Uh, yeah, snuck up on us too quick. Anyway, really good to have you if you're online. Welcome if you're a guest. As we begin this new series called Family 30, because we really do believe you can experience your best family in 30 days. Now that doesn't mean we're gonna magically be able to fix everything. It doesn't mean that everybody's gonna stop yelling at each other overnight. It doesn't mean that, um, that uh, she, he or she may come back, okay? We're just saying, look, relationships take time. Habits take time to break. Healing takes time, but you can begin to change the atmosphere and your direction of your family right away. Now, you may not have family to deal with, but this is important foundational stuff for you to know too. In fact, if you are hoping to have a family one day, then this can prepare you to have your best future family as well. And if you're not a Christian, understand you may not be on board with everything I'm gonna be saying today, uh, but listen, I, I, whether you believe in this or not, I, I want you to know that I believe God has the best plan for your family, and that's our big idea for today. God has the best plan for your family. Because everywhere you turn today, families are struggling, families are in trouble. It's not really working out there. But maybe if you give God a chance, you'll see some change. I, look, it, it comes down to like having an owner's manual. Ever buy something that has an owner's manual with it, a user manual, and you don't read it? You just like jump into trying to use the appliance or whatever it is? Or you misunderstand the user's manual? I'm telling you, some of these manuals, it feels like whoever wrote it, it's like English is their second or third or fourth or fifth language because they just don't understand what they're saying. I know because one Christmas Eve, are you with me on this? I was trying to put together for my boys a small pool table and I put the whole thing together. And once I got done, I realized there's something not right. It was, there was something wrong. And I had to go back, take it all apart again, put it all back together again, trying to figure out those directions over. And so it's like the early morning hours of Christmas. Happy birthday. Jesus, what a great Christmas day that was. But I, I, I've done that too many times. And just, have you ever just completely blown off the user manual and said, I'll figure it out on my own. And what happens is you end up you know, maybe messing it up, breaking it down. That's what happens in our families too. You think, well, I don't need to consult any kind of user's manual. I grew up in a family. I had parents. I'm not dead. So I can figure this out on my own. Or we, we begin to think family is just some kind of a social construct. It's the logical outcome of evolution that, you know, family was just something that uh, evolved over time as hominids began to gather together and it became more efficient for uh, mating procreation certain purposes just to have two people join together. And Well, okay. If you begin to look at family in that way, then it becomes not that important anymore and just something that can be changed, can be redefined and restructured to be whatever you want it to be. And we're seeing that happen. Now, I don't know that there was ever a golden age when all families were, were wonderfully ideal. I mean, some of us look back to the 1950s and those black and white classic TV shows and the ideal nuclear family presented there, but people have always been messed up, right? I mean, there's never an era of history where you didn't have dysfunctional families because people are dysfunctional. We, we, we have a lot of flaws and, and failures. But I, I don't think anybody would doubt that we have seen families struggle more and more and more since like the 1960s when so much began to be thrown against families to undermine them, sabotage them, attack them. All kinds of political, social uh, forces 
came against the family to, to begin to break it down and ravage our cities and neighborhoods with all these families that are, that are just a mess. And fatherless homes are epidemic and kids growing up without a loving mother and father involved in their lives. And I think more than anything, it's, it's more than just political and social, it's spiritual. We're just not consulting the owner's manual anymore. We're not going to what God has to say. We're just ignoring it or we're at least misunderstanding it. So today we're talking about Family 101. We're going back to the basics. Next week we're going to talk about subtraction, subtracting the junk, you know, cleaning out the family junk drawer. And week three we'll talk about addition, what we need to add to our families. And then the final week we'll talk about uh, blended and mended and extended families. So you're going to want to be back for all of those to complete this 30-day Project And by the way, our kids and students at South Point are also going through their own family-related series, and we're offering these one-hour online seminars as a bonus as well, each Wednesday night this month at 6.30. Uh, this week, we're going to be having a, a seminar on conversation, how to have conversations in your family with your kids. Week two will be about technology and how to navigate that whole dangerous online world and help one another through that. Then week three on how to deal with anxiety and stress brought into our homes through this pandemic. And week four is about discipleship in the home, how to train your children to know, love, and serve the Lord. So important every week. And everything we're offering is online. Go to southpointccc.com fam30. And everything we're offering is free because we love your family, and we want you to have the best family you can. So let's get back to the beginning. Let's go to the basics, where it all began. In the beginning, Genesis 1, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. All right, so humans were created special, distinct from the rest of the animal world. We are not animals in the sense that uh, animals are alive. They have a soul in the sense that they have uh, self-awareness, consciousness, personality, but they are not created in the image of God like we are so that we can have a relationship with God and live with him eternally. We also see that humans were given, so, so the idea here, God created humans in his image, that's first, that's foundational. We're created to be like God, but God also gave us a purpose and a role. God created humans to rule the creatures and the earth. We have been entrusted as stewards of this planet and everything in it. God is the creator. He's the ruler of everything. But he has delegated some of his authority to us so that we can subdue the created order. Then God gives a little bit more detail in the next chapter. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So, you know, Adam was there by himself, except animals and plants and the beauty of nature, but that wasn't what he really needed. He desired companionship with somebody who was like him. And so God made woman, somebody like him, and yet wonderfully different from him too. Not better, not worse, just different. And so from the very beginning, man and woman were created to be partners, to help each other. I mean, God creates the woman, brings her to Adam. Adam goes, whoa, baby, what's your number? No, that's not what he said. He said, he said something far stranger. You 
are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. What a line, right? <laughs> kind of a strange one. But I'll tell you, years ago, back in the 70s, uh, there was a Christian singer named Leon Patillo who took those words and set them to a song that when I was a DJ on a Christian radio station, I mean, I played the snot out of this song. All people loved it. It was in so many weddings. So I'll play you just a little clip of it. Listen to the lyrics. You have flesh in my flesh, bone of my bone. There's no one closer. You have flesh in my flesh, bone of my bone. We are one. Okay, that's good. We're good. We're good. That's it. That's enough. Okay, you can have some fun with that on the way home or in the car. But I, I, I really do believe, I think that was in my own wedding too. We, we use that song. So it's, it's not uh, the best line to use, but it, it has a lot of meaning to it if you think about it. I mean, they, they really were, they were at one time one, and God created two out of the one and then said, now you're going to rejoin in some sense in marriage and the two will become one. He gives them these further instructions. He's created them in his image, given them authority to subdue the earth, to rule over it. Now he says in Genesis 2 that that's why a man leaves his father and mother. He's united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now notice they didn't have any parents yet that they could leave home, but he's setting this up for the future. This is the pattern for all of us. We're all created to desire companionship, to be united in marriage. Not everybody's going to be united in marriage. We all need companionship, but the, the pattern was there's going to be this institution called marriage where two become one flesh. And Jesus reaffirms that in the New Testament and says this marriage is between one man and one woman. Matthew 19, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So this is God's intention that he wanted us to multiply to subdue the earth, and that was all going to be done through families. Now, this may seem pretty simple, but it's overlooked. And it's very important that God created the family. He intentionally and purposely designed it, crafted it for a reason. It's not just something that naturally evolved over time. God, from the beginning, said this is the way it's supposed to be. Family isn't the result of nature, it's the result of a creator who loves us and knows us and knows this is what's best for us because he designed us to carry out this mission that he has for us. So what I'm asking you to do, to, to listen to me here, is that if God created the family, then he knows what it is and what it isn't and what's best for us. Think about any creator, any inventor, Edison, uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, anybody. The creator understands what he has made better than the end user. Isn't that true? And so God knows what the family is supposed to be. So doesn't it make sense that we would pay attention to what God says about family? And once you learn something, then will you put it into effect? 
Once you, you look in the manual, will you begin to implement it over the next 30 days to try it and ideally to carry it on for the rest of your life? I want you to hear part of a story from a South Point family who found God's plan later in life and began trusting him for their family. Watch. So when we first got married, we were, easy to say, we weren't Christians. We were both living on a path that we weren't. I started going to church first. Um, but I think it was easier for me because I just have um, faith and I still do a lot. Really, I can just always go by faith. I've learned that, you know, you have to have knowledge so that's why, you know, we read the Bible, get in the Bible, where Steve needs to be, he needs to understand and know. So I started going to church. He didn't believe that was something that you had to go to a building. Yeah. Um, so. I was kind of like a, call it a, you know. You could do it I, from a tree stand, yeah, right? Yeah, I could do church from a tree stand. <laughs> yeah. So uh, myself and the girls would go, and um, we found South Point. Um, through a friend and they believed in us and uh, we would come and um, at that point in time we had Carly and Riley uh, and we were coming um, and uh, I don't know we just started coming and learning and things felt different and um, little did we know then that was probably the Holy Spirit starting to work in us uh, but it just started feeling different um, we definitely were not Christians. We didn't live like Christians. We lived very much of the world. And we would go to church, go hang out with our friends, do whatever the heck we want. And I mean, whatever the heck we want. We had, well, we had friends that we would play euchre with them on Friday night. And we would, depending on who drank the week before, was depending on who was going to drink the next week. And the, all of our kids would play inside. And we'd sit out in the garage and drink and smoke. And uh, the kids just ran them up in the house. They're all safe, thank God. And um, But it was really kind of that summer. And I just, I remember looking at when we left that day and I was like, we got to think aside. I, I need to know, like, what are we doing? We can't keep living. Well, it's exhausting. And these people at church seem to love us no matter what. Who are we worried about loving us? If we merge our lives, what are we worried about? And. Um, we were worried about losing friends and everything and we were worried, worried probably about the popularity and everybody wanting us around and well you know we, we did a lot of stuff i think a lot of it's like an identity crisis when, yeah. you, when you live in your life a certain way it's like your identity you know you're a partier or you're this or you're that an athlete or whatever it's kind of your identity you become a christian it's kind of an identity yeah. you know and it's a it's a change of identity and it's not it's not always an easy change for people around you to handle are we not going to be the cool people that they're going to invite to yeah, come I mean, to the you know to this or to that things we're used to doing with our friends like if we don't go and we're not drinking then are we the goody two shoes are we this you know what what are they going to yeah. say about us? And we just kind of finally got to a, a point that summer. And I don't really know how. You, Steve's always just been so good at just studying and knowing. You just know because you study so hard when you read. You like to have answers. So we didn't have a lot of conversation about it. It was just kind of like, we're going to start doing things one. And whoever doesn't show up and whoever doesn't come, like, we want to raise our kids in the church. We made that decision at that point. We wanted one barbecue. So, like I said, it's not perfect, but, but yeah. yeah, so I mean, honestly, that's when I think 
it was just kind of like we need to we need to figure something out. I can't put this double life anymore. <laughs> it was exhausting. Yeah, double agent. Yeah, we were we were really good at it too. Yeah. Very good. We got it done in perfection. We did. Yeah, we really did. No, we're not double agent though. No, one barbecue for every birthday. One barbecue. Sweet rolls. <laughs> She is not really that much louder than him in real life, okay? That's, <laughs> but uh, I just love hearing their story. The truth is many of us have not come from a godly family that has not gone by God's manual. And so, you know, we, we bring a lot of baggage and a lot of brokenness into the families that we create. And what often happens is we repeat the cycle that we've learned from our family that we grew up in and we fall into the same bad habits and patterns that they did and we repeat the same kind of addictions or we think well I'm going to go in a completely different way I'm, I'm not going to do what they did I'm going to be different and a few years into your new family you begin to realize well I've just created a whole different kind of dysfunctional family that's all because we haven't looked at the user's manual we haven't consulted God so would you please consider God's way man family 101 God wants to multiply and wants us to subdue the earth through families, which means that God created sex for marriage. We don't pay attention to that very much either these days, but sex was created for us with a purpose. Unlike animals who are just seeking to satisfy a biological urge, uh, our sexual relationship with our spouse is meaningful, not arbitrary. Even though that's the way the culture would have you think, that it's just an arbitrary kind of thing, that it's about uh, making you happy and meeting your needs with whenever and with whoever you want to. And hey, after all, it's not hurting anybody. But look, culture has normalized sex as something that uh, is very self-seeking. And that's not what it was designed for. And that's why a lot of surveys I've seen over the years have pointed out that really the people with the most enjoyable sex life are committed Christians. Why? Because they understand the purpose of it what God created it for, that God wired us to be united for life with one person, and that's the best way to enjoy it. Now, that doesn't mean automatically everything's great. Again, you got to work at everything you do. You got to keep consulting God, and you got to have all those kind of godly qualities to make this work. But here's what Scripture says. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed, what? Kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And that's generally where we are today, right? I mean, it's even in the church. We, we bought so much into the world's way of doing this. And we're saturated, surrounded by it. And here, with, with, when we have uncommitted sex like that with somebody who's not our spouse, it results in, in often children who no one is really committed to. And so to fix that problem, abortion takes care of it, you know, fixes the, that that mistake because it's not, no longer viewed as a child created by God in his image but just you know something that has caused problems and so it's like that user manual right if you if you the user manuals are always full of all kinds of huge warning signs you're like you're reading you're like well duh of course everybody gets that of course I'm not gonna take this appliance and and submerge it in water ridiculous but it's there for a reason because people do those dumb things and we do the same thing common sense of course I'm not good but we do and we end up destroying what God has created 
doesn't fix it. Abortion doesn't fix anything. All these solutions we come up with, they don't fix anything. Rather than seeing marriage and sex as tools that God is using to fulfill our mission for him, we see it from a self-centered viewpoint. It's all about me. And who pays the price for that? The kids, the kids have to suffer the consequences of all these adult decisions. They become the guinea pigs in this societal experiment of sex without vows and and treating marriage like it's just a contract that can be violated. Sex outside of marriage weakens and destroys the family. So are you willing to trust God on this? God designed us, he designed the family, he designed sex, he knows what he's doing, there's a purpose for it, and God has delegated some of that authority to us, to family, for this reason. God has given the family a structure. Every family has a structure. But are you going by God's structure or making up your own structure? Like, like authority, we all have an authority structure in the home. Who, who has authority in your home? Somebody does, whether you've, you know, said so or not who is it is it the most dominant one is it the loudest one is it the one that argues the best and makes the other person feel the worst is it the one with the most money how do you decide who has the authority what if you decide the smartest one gets the authority in our family well what if you raise a child who becomes a teenage genius Uh oh now we got a problem because they're the authority so what do you do well first of all you sit them down in front of some reality tv and dumb them down a little bit that'll help but that's not a good plan either what do we got? We got to look at the user manual. What does God say will make for the best family? Well, it's keeping his order, his structure he gives us in Ephesians 5. God says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I got to stop there because you know what? There wouldn't be a problem there if Paul had just said, wives, submit to the Lord, right? Because, well, who doesn't want to submit to the Lord? He's good. He laid down his life for me, but my husband, my husband is no Jesus, and true enough. But that's not why husbands are the head of the house, because they're like Jesus. Husbands are supposed to become like Jesus, but God's designated order is that he has some authority. He's delegated it for the sake of the mission of the family to the husband and to the father. And we got to trust God's word on this. we got to take him at his word. So then he goes on and talks to the guys. He says, you husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So when men understand the purpose of marriage and their role within it, they begin to sense that this family has a mission. And that mission for me is to help my wife and my kids, first of all, to know the Lord and be first in line when Jesus comes back. I'm to set the pace and get them ready for that. Listen to this description of Jesus given to us in Philippians 2. This is our model, who we're supposed to be like. This guy who, being in very nature, was God. But he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus and the Father were equal in nature, but they had different roles, different functions. And so rather, Jesus, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, is that what our culture is expecting of us? 
about putting the needs of, of the other ahead of our own. Men, is that how you're loving your, your wives? Th- that's an extremely high bar, isn't it? Authority, when it's done the right way, is done for the benefit of others, not for ourselves. Isn't it true that a good leader will use his position to help those he leads? That's why we have that authority, not for self, but for those I'm leading, to help them, to benefit them, for their good. And so that's why I want to set the pace. I want to be that Philippians 2 kind of, kind of leader, like Jesus. Right? I, want to, I want to put him first, and then I'm going to put my wife second, and then I'm going to put my kids third. And when you get your family life in that correct order, you begin to experience your best family. Instead of the husband and wife and even the kids always trying to get something for themselves. And isn't it true in every family, it becomes about who can get the most out of it? Who can be in control? Who is in charge? It's about power. But that's not going to lead to a good family. Your best family is when you get on mission and you begin to live like Jesus and you submit yourself to that mission And a good way to describe the mission is for you to come under the mission of. And then when you realize that you have a bigger mission than yourself, it's going to be easier for your family to follow your lead. You have a mission to honor the Lord. Your marriage has a mission. And it's not just about your happiness. It's about holiness. It's about reflecting the relationship that Jesus has with his bride, the church. Our family is supposed to reflect that. You have a mission, which means the woman then is able to come under that mission because she sees what you're desiring for your family, where your heart is, that you're leading like Christ. And that's much easier to submit to. It no longer is about a power struggle for control. And too often our Christian marriages are failing Not because we're following God's word, but because we're following the world's way. We're looking at the world's view of marriage and and the roles of husbands and wives. And how's that working out? Not too well, is it? A godly marriage is never going to be about power and control. It's about doing what's best for the family. So it becomes much more about sacrifice and servanthood and surrender for the good of the family. And, you know, I've, I've found this to be true that sometimes you have to look at your, your marriage as if there are three persons involved. There's a husband, wife, and the marriage. The marriage is almost like this third entity that I am committed to even more so than my spouse. Why? Because there are times, and it's true that your spou- you don't like your spouse. I can't stand what he's doing. I don't like what she's, how she's acting. Of course, we all get, because we're messed up dysfunctional people. So there are going to be times when you don't want to be around that person. But you know what? I'm still committed to the marriage. It's that committed love that gets me through the tough times when I don't like that person. When I feel like giving up and walking away, I'm still committed to this marriage where I made vows for better or for worse before the Lord. That's what gets me through those tough times because marriage isn't about making you happy all the time. That's impossible. No person can make you happy all the time. It's more about making you holy. Is about developing in you a godly patience, right? You gotta have a lot of patience to be in a good marriage. It's about making you a good apologizer because you mess it up. You're not perfect. It's about making you a good forgiver. A good marriage is made up of two good forgivers. 
It's about making you more long-suffering and more merciful. In other words, making you more like Jesus. Your, your marriage, your family has a mission. So if you don't know Jesus like that, you're not going to be able to lead like him. But even in Christian marriages, too often Christian men are not leading like Jesus. Because we, we, we've looked at the world and we said, well, my role is really just to be a provider. I'm just supposed to provide a roof and three squares a day. And after that, I'm kind of free to do whatever I want to do. I, I'm, it's me time. I get to develop my hobbies. And we leave our wives to have to kind of step into that void and become the default spiritual leader in our home. Something that she was never designed or called to do, but she has to do it. Now, God never asked you ladies to marry a man like that, but if you did, that's what you get. So we got to get better at this. A few verses later, got to remember the kids are involved in this too. They're not passive subjects in the family. He says in Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, you got your role to play. So Christ is the head of all. Husband is the head of the family. The parents are the head of the children. And the children... You're, you're, you're in charge of the pets, I guess. I mean, you make sure you, how's that going? You're taking care of the pets or did you leave that to mom and dad too? All right, you got something to do in your family too. And when you go off mission, when you try to come up with your own mission and you divide your mom and dad against each other, that's not good for you. That's not good for the family. You can't have your best family unless you understand the blueprint. Scripture says in the Psalms, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So it's his house, it's his family, it's his marriage. And when God gets that first place in our home, when he's the Lord of our lives, when we all love Jesus, we're serving him, we're building on a solid foundation. And we can get back to that big idea. God has the best plan for your family. Do you believe that? Will you trust him for that? Husbands, will you sit down this week? This is tough, I know. This is hard to do, but will you sit down and have a conversation with your wife this week and say, how can I lead better in this family? You got the guts to do that? How am I, is there a way that I am um, not leading well? Am I, am I shirking my responsibilities in some way? What's one thing I can do? Because we all can get better, right? I guarantee you. When I go home and have this conversation with Penny, is there a way I can lead better? She will have a suggestion for me. All right? But ladies, make sure it's just one suggestion at a time. All right? Don't bring out the whole list of 20 things for him to do. All right? We got an ego. Okay? Respect the ego because we, we can't handle that much at once. Give me one thing. How can I lead better? And then wives, will you search your heart and see if you're willing to trust God's plan too? To ask yourself, have I assumed authority in this family? Maybe you didn't intend to, but that's what's happened. Have you, are, are you willing to let him lead? Do you want him to? Do you pray for him to lead? Will you submit to that? Can you have that conversation where you ask him, like, here's where I would like you to lead more. And then tell him of your willingness to let him. That's a big deal, too. That's hard to do, ladies. It is. Children, are you willing to trust God's plan? Will you honestly look at your life and see where I'm not doing what God has called me to do, where I'm not obeying my parents? Let's be honest and talk about Here's things I'm getting away with. 
hiding stuff from my parents, I'm deceiving them. Would you be willing to confess that and even apologize to them? I know that's a big deal, but look, they're not perfect. You say, well, my parents are, well, yeah, they're not perfect. They're messed up dysfunctional people, but so are you. I mean, they made you. And even if they didn't, somebody did. If you're adopted or fostered, it doesn't matter. We all come from messed up dysfunctional parents. Everybody's sinners. So you're not perfect either. Are you willing to confess your need to follow your parents' leadership better? And if you're a Christian, you've made your own decision to follow Christ, you've repented and been baptized, then are you really following the lead of Jesus or are you taking your cues more from the culture and the media and your friends? Maybe you're not a Christian and so you can have a conversation with your parents about, hey, how can I start following Jesus? And if they're not Christians and you are, maybe this is where you can help show some leadership by leading them to know Jesus by saying, you know what, mom and dad, I, I, I want to obey you because I want to follow Jesus and I want you to follow him too. So you have that conversation. And if you're single, are you willing to trust God's plan for you as well? For your future family life? Are you willing to wait for the right person, for God's person to be your spouse? Not the person who's most available, not the person who you'll settle for, but the person that will be the right kind of spouse for you. And if you're not going to get married, that's fine. That's great. Okay. But are you willing to trust God's plan for sex too and to remain celibate so that you can stay fully devoted to the Lord? It's all tough stuff. No question about it. So that's why we need to pray about it. And we're going to do that right now. I want you to pray right where you are. Pray with us at home, wherever you are online. If you're with your spouse right now, if you're with your kids, whatever, you can even gather together a little bit if you want. We're going to pray quietly if you want to whisper a little prayer out loud, pray over your family, pray with your family, you can do that too. But we're just going to quietly spend some time asking God to reveal to us the, the areas where we're not trusting his plan for our families. Would you do that? Let's, let's pray together now. Let me, let me start us off and say, Father, we confess to you so many, we need your help. So many families are struggling. Uh, God, they're hurting. There's so much division there's so much yelling there's so much anger uh, God our, help us to get our houses in order bring peace help us to repent to forgive let there be healing God, help us to honor your order and trust your plan and reflect uh, your mission, not only in our, our, our physical family life, but in our spiritual family, Lord, in this, this household of God that we're in, as we're brothers and sisters, Lord. We're your children. You're our Father. We want to have a godly family in our church, Lord. Thank you for bringing uh, these brothers and sisters around together in this, uh, this 
adopted household of faith that we're in. Lord, we pray that at the end of this month that our family lives will be better than ever. We pray for our nation, God, which is kind of a household and there is a lot of division and anger there too with the election coming up and everything. God, thank you that you are still on the throne and we can look to you to be our leader and through it all. We pray for your will to be done. We pray for those who are struggling physically with, with COVID or whatever else they're going through, God, that there would be healing and strength. God, we lift up all these prayers, but more than that, we pray especially for those who need to enter into your household, to become your child, to be born into this spiritual family, Lord, that they would make the best decision ever today to follow Jesus. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came into this earth. He left his beautiful household in glory and entered into this physical family so that he could become one of us and live like one of us with a mom and a dad, brothers. And, you know. he, he's been there. He's done it. He knows what it's like. And he becomes this example that we can learn from. But more than that, he becomes our substitute who died in our place because we are messed up sinful people. He died so that we could be forgiven and he rose from the dead so that we could have a new life, a fresh start, a clean slate. And he wants to help you not only build a life, he wants you, if you've got a family, he wants to help you build a family the right way. It's not too late. Starting today, you can begin to improve your family life if you'll turn to him. But it starts with you. Where are you at? If you would like to make a decision to follow Christ today, to be baptized, if you're at home, call us, text us, 734-304-7248. Email us at next at southpointccc.com. We'll get back to you as soon as possible because sooner the better to get started, right, to get, get you baptized right away, to, to pray with you, whatever help you need. We want to help you with it, all right? If you're here on site, go out in the lobby right in a few moments to room C or D. There will be people there ready to pray with you, to answer your questions, to help you get baptized today as well. All right? So as we get ready to leave once more, I want to remind you to, to socially distance as you're out in the lobby, to come back next week as we continue in this series, to invite others to come with you. Uh, remember, as Christians, let's go out and be a good influence this week. Let's vote. Let's pray. Let's, you know, be salt and light and a blessing to our community. Pray for the best and stay connected to God and one another and wish each other a blessed week on your way out. All right? We'll see you Sunday.